Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburb of New York City and from Brooklyn. Sandra Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'm good, Andrew. I'm I'm happy. I, I enjoyed that game today. It's It's good to have a live game of some substance. And again, I was energized by the, yeah, right at the end of Der Klassiker today. Yashua Kimmich's kind of guttural, um, Teutonic shout was uh, that echoed around the uh, the Westfalen Stadium. Yeah, it was it was great. Well, he knew what it meant. Um, yeah, and we're going to talk all about that game. It's really it's pretty much the reason we're here. Typically, these podcasts have been coming out. We've been doing these Wednesday nights, uh, but we thought, you know what, let's bump it up a day because, for all intents and purposes, I, I mean, you, we'll talk about this specifically. Um, but I guess as a preview for my thoughts, I kind of feel like the Bundesliga championship race ended today. Uh, we can talk a little bit of, uh, more about that um, in a few minutes here. We're going to go through the game, all the big moments from this game. Um, should be fun. It should be fun. Also, a couple other stories, a couple things happening in, over in uh, England with the Premier League and Project Restart. Also, MLS um, is turning out to be a very leaky ship. And Don Garber is trying to take helm as the captain of that ship and plug those leaks. We'll see if he's able to do it. We've got a nice mailbag here. One of the questions in particular in the mailbag, JJ, deals with Louis van Gaal. And I did a, a I, I came across a, a book that just came out about him and a story within that book um, that is very funny about LVG. And I think people are going to enjoy it. I think this podcast was beyond others, extremely fond of LVG and just the joy he brought and the way he was treated at the end. But we we can talk about that later. It was wrong. Well, he had us, I mean, on this podcast, he had a section on our drops page of just like LVG drops, all from pretty much all from the same night, that Manchester United banquet. We are very close. (laughs) Unbelievable. And pay um, attention to the manager. Pay attention to the manager. Right, because people are just like talking while he's making this in, impassioned speech. And, <laughs> and and introducing uh Chris Smalling twice his captain as Mike Smalling. Just and but he was great. He really was great. Um here are the mince pies and some wine, and I bid you Merry Christmas. And goodbye, and walks out on everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll talk about him. We haven't talked about him in a couple of years, but we're going to talk about him a little bit later in the mailbag. I enjoyed that that question very much. But first, JJ, it's Der Der Klassiker, the El Clasico, the the classic. Do you even understand other languages? You're not acknowledging me or even looking at me. It's well, see, I was I was toying with whether say, whether I should say this or not. Apparently. The title Der Klassiker was a made-up thing for some kind of commercial propaganda. And it was Stefan Butzko, by the way, on Twitter that alerted us to this. It's not even the proper name of it. It's not Der Klassiker. But anyway. So what would you like to call it, huh? A good game. Borussia Dortmund nil, Bayern München won. This might be it. Now, before, before JJ, we even talk about the actual on the field game. We have to talk about, you mentioned before that Joshua Kimmich made a guttural noise that echoed through the Westfalen stadium uh, earlier. Did it? 
because it sounded like there was a full-throated 80,000 in attendance there. I don't know if Joshua Kimmich's guttural noise had the chance to echo through that stadium. Well, it did, but for us here in America, it didn't. We could hear it, but not as loud as, say, if you were listening in Spain or if you were listening, uh, watching and listening in, in the UK via BT. We've had some, um, how shall we put it, audio techniques done to so our broadcast. This, to me, has in itself become fascinating because I've actually, I've actually been a little bit surprised by how divisive this issue is of whether or not it's okay to pipe in uh, fake crowd noise. Like, I don't know, to me, I kind of look at it as some people, some people may enjoy it. Some people may think it's kind of like weird. Some people may have no opinion, but I feel like, I feel like people are really going deep on this and people think that this is like, you know, they're trying to replace fans. Like people are really trying to make a a, a serious issue out of this. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, For me, I'll, I'll say this. Um, it's a little bit weird. It's like, it, it's a little bit jarring at first. It's jarring every time there's a shot of the stadium and you see no people in it, but you're hearing wh- what it would sound like had there been 80,000 people in attendance there today. Um, so part of me thinks, yeah, it's a little bit, this is a little bit awkward that they're doing this. However, I will say this, they're doing it extraordinarily well. I mean, like, if you told me going into this that they're going to be piping in crowd noise, I would kind of think that, like, it would just be this sort of generic, dull tone kind of, like, going out through the course of the game so it's not just, like, emptiness. So you at least kind of hear something that makes you feel like there's a soccer game happening, that there's some sort of atmosphere. But, like, they have gone deep, and they are now, like, they must have some sort of audio keyboard in front of them where they can kind of just hit a key for, like, given the moment. You know, anytime there's a rush forward, it feels like you're hearing the right noise from the crowd. Every time there's a shot, you're hearing the right sound effects from the crowd. So I would think whether you like it, whether you hate it, I think everybody can agree that like they're, they are actually doing it extraordinarily well to sometimes make you almost forget. You know, when you, when you get sucked into this game, you're, you can almost forget that it's an empty stadium until they show you one of those wide shots. Yeah, the couple of times that they... They had free kicks go against Dortmund and there was the jeering of the crowd. That was pretty good. So just to, just to, you know, confirm what's happening. So the broadcaster, Sky in Germany, have given an option where you can have the, the fake noise on your broadcast. It's not being funneled into the stadium. The players are not hearing it. You're hearing it on your broadcast. Although BT haven't, you know, they haven't used it in England. In Canada, the zone aren't using it. In Spain, they're not using it, as I understand, but they're using it in America. And I, I, I find that very interesting. I find that to be something that me and you have talked about before, that there's, you know, in this case, Fox, TV executives who feel the need to pander and inflict this kind of thing upon the American soccer fan. Now, I actually don't mind it. I think it's okay. And I think most American soccer fans, they either think it's fine. They're, some of them are okay with it. Some of them really hate it. You know, there's a, it's a mixed bag. But it just speaks to a kind of a TV executive mindset in this country that fundamentally the U.S. soccer fan can't like a game 
on its own merits, a game of soccer on its own merits. There has to be some kind of little tweak. You know, if it's Champions League final, how many times can we call it the Super Bowl of soccer? If there's a basketball player who ever looked at a soccer ball once, let's have him on. Let's have him talking about the game. And I honestly believe that the the U.S. soccer fan is much more educated, is much more uh, nuanced, and is much more intelligent. And I think they would be able to enjoy the games quite happily without this canned noise. So in response to that, I would say I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I kind of I kind of half agree. Like I, I, I get what you're saying in that there's this TV executive mindset that feels like American fans might reject a sporting event such as this if it's just emptiness in terms of the audio. Um, however, I don't know like you're making that a soccer thing. American soccer fans will reject it. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Remember, this was on Fox. This is the network that is probably starting to think about their most important property coming up this fall, which is the NFL. And I wonder if this is almost serving as some kind of test run for them for if the NFL, if football season rolls around and it's empty stadiums. Like if they're kind of throwing this little test balloon out there now, okay, let's do it on a program that's not necessarily like we can get away with doing something a little bit outside the box here because the audiences are are lower. But this could be like it's almost like a, a, a large scale focus group. Like, let's see, are people really into this? Do people love the fake crowd noise? Are they are they getting lost in the game and they're not even thinking about the fact that it's empty stadium or do they hate it? Do they think it's distracting? Is it inauthentic to what's before? I, I almost wonder if that's how, like, if executives are just combing through Twitter tonight and seeing what the reaction has been. So I don't even know if it's specific just to, like, we need to do this or American soccer fans will reject it. I think they're just curious if this is kind of the way sports should be for the next year. I think that's a good point. And there's something else I'm probably missing as well, specifically to the soccer factor. Your, your point about the NFL, I, I take that. I think in the... What I don't realize is that so many people, particularly in the last five years since NBC has made Premier League soccer so available in the United States, most people in America haven't, or most soccer fans, I would say, haven't really experienced maybe a game that they, a local club, like a junior soccer team, where they go and watch a game where there's no supporters. The the most amount of, of consumption that they get is from their television, and there's always fans. So it probably has been a bit jarring not to have fans and and maybe it's comforting to have the the rhythms of the crowd in the background. What I would say is I don't mind it one way or the other. I've enjoyed the games and when it's since the weekend, since the noise has been uh, piped in, I think it was Mainz Freiburg or whoever it was, uh, Mainz Cologne, I don't mind it. It's perfectly okay with it. And um, I I can't believe actually how exercised some people are getting about this. Yeah, it's funny, man. Like you and I are, usually opinionated about things. This was one where I, I feel the same way as you. Uh, I'll, if they didn't have it, I wouldn't care. They had it, and I, I didn't really care either. Now, I didn't care. They run more of a risk having it, because if it's not done well, then it becomes a problem. But uh, I but, think you're but right it about... But it was done extraordinarily well, so it's not distracting. I think about the the guy on the soundboard, like you said. I think he's he's got it, he's got it perfect. By the way, I, I should mention that we need to get to the football because... <laughs> So let's go through some of the key elements of today's game. Uh, obviously a huge game, biggest game of the season so far. Um, should we start with 
I mean, obviously a lot happened and we'll get to it, but I figured I'd throw this out there just as kind of the jumping off point, the decisive goal, uh, Joshua Kimmich just before halftime. Oh my, I mean, what a, just a a brilliant piece of skill from him. Um, But immediately, you know, you have some people throwing a little bit of cold water on it saying that this is just as much on Roman Berkey as it is Joshua Kimmich. Where do you fall on that? Well, allow me first to give the credit to Joshua Kimmich and to Bayern Munich and to the people who break down their tape and who give them little nuggets of analysis. This is the power of attention to detail that creates, um, to borrow a cycling term, marginal gains, that little bit extra. Thomas Muller said post-game that they had been told that Berkey tends to be off his line that little bit, even when the ball is, say, in around the 18. He's that little bit off his line. And Kimmich, he absolutely executed that perfectly. It it, it took a lot of skill to do that. That said, definitely, when you get that amount of a hand on the ball, you probably expect to keep it out. Now, I'm much more critical of Berkey in general for not just the mistake he made there, but the build-up to that goal, Andrew. I don't know if you remember. At that point in the game, moving in towards halftime, I think you could definitely say Bayern Munich had turned the screw a little bit. We're beginning to create chances. Alfonso Davies was getting down the left a little bit more. He had that slaloming run into the box where he was pushed off the ball by Hummels. But, you know, it was a dangerous moment. I felt like Munich were on top at that point. Now, Berkey had the ball at his feet and he he went to execute some kind of a line drive or to ping it out the field. And I got frustrated straight away watching it. I'm like, he's given that ball straight to a Bayern Munich player who heads it right back in. And I thought at that moment, look, get it down the field, find a player, but don't give it away because you need to release the pressure here. And sure enough, Andrew, they don't get the ball back again until it ends up in the in the net. So Berkey, for me, was wrong on two things. Now, people will say, look, a lot happened. A lot of chances were there for them to get the ball back after Berkey surrendered it from, from the kickout. Fair enough. I accept that. But it's two mistakes for me. And um, I tweeted out, Berkey is the, is the worst, best goalkeeper playing at the top level. And I do believe that. He is capable of brilliant saves, Andrew. He's also capable of these, these brain farts. Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned um, at the start of that, you mentioned Thomas Muller's point about the scouting report. I mean, after the match, Joshua Kimmich said it himself. Um, he was asked about the goal. He said, it's not it's not that I wanted to do this. I did not see him off his line, but we were told before the game that Berkey stands a bit off his line. So I went for it with a bit of luck. It went in. It was maybe the most beautiful goal of my life and also very important. So like he wasn't even, and you can almost see from the replay, he wasn't even looking. But instead of making a pass somewhere else, he figured, I mean, it must have been echoing in the back of his head. Sometimes this guy's out of position. Let me just let me just do this. And it turned out that he he hit it brilliantly and he happened to be right. Berkey, I guess, was off his line. Yeah, now, sometimes sometimes you just have a picture in your mind of where the goalkeeper is yeah. and you hear professionals talk about it that they just hit it. I was listening to Paul Scholes talk the other day, and how many times has he put a ball in his career into the top corner? Do you know what he said, Andrew? What's said you're never aiming for the corners. You're, you're, he said you're getting your head over the ball. You're worried about hitting the target. If it goes into the corner, it goes into the corner. You think he's speaking for everyone? Probably not. <laughs> I'd say there's a lot of guys who, who, you know, oh, top bins. I meant that. But, I mean, it was a, a stunning admission. 
um, from a player who you expect always oh, put it right, right where the keeper can't get it. Yeah. Now, in More- times in times like this, JJ, what do we do? We typically lean on the goalkeeping expertise of one David Priest. I actually didn't go near David Priest, so I, you did. I'm I very interested. Yeah, I, I couldn't it, instantly. The goal happened. Bang! I was on his Twitter account. Um, here's some of what I'm not going to read all of it, uh, but he, he posted this um, about Berkey. He said, "Did really well to get to the ball, but mistimes it slightly. Keep the arm and hand stiff, and the little pace that was on the ball to deflect it. Lovely chip, mind." So he is kind. Of, he, he's giving Joshua Kimmich credit on the chip, but he's basically saying, like, when you watch it. It looks like Berkey when he does, he makes up the ground. He's off, like Joshua Kimmich said, Berkey is off his line. He's out of position. But David Priest points out, even with him being out of position, he makes up for that. He gets back and he gets a full hand to it. And I think David Priest is saying here, if you watch the replay, he kind of flicks his hand at yeah. it. And I think David Priest is saying, if he just goes in with a sturdy, strong hand without any kind of flick, that in itself would have been enough to deflect it away. But he tried to get too cute. Uh, and instead, I guess he just, in flicking his hand the way that he did, didn't get enough on the ball, and the ball was able to power through and wind up in the back of the net. I used to work with a, he's the Houston, he's the head of the the goalkeeping goalkeeping academy at at Houston Dynamo, and I used to work with him. I be I used to be good friends with him and um, Jason Grubb, and he was a brilliant goalkeeping coach, and I used to just love doing drills and stuff with him. We'd get a bag of balls and we'd go up to a field and we'd just, we'd just practice. And he said something interesting. Use the pace that's on the ball if you're tipping it over. Don't try and get clever. There's movement on that ball. Help it along. And um, that was one of the many nuggets of wisdom I got from, from good old Jason. But um, I hate being too critical of Berkey, but I, I honestly, you do feel when you get when you see how much of a glove he got on it, Andrew, you're like, he's got to keep it out. Yeah. You know the website, whoscored.com, they do their player ratings after every match. They gave him a 5.9, which was the worst of anyone on either team in this game. Um, so that's at least somewhat of a gauge of, of how they felt about his performance. I thought he made a smart save uh, from Muller in the second half, down low to his right-hand side. He, he hit it. He got down low, and he, he palmed it away. He made sure it didn't come back into into play. Out to the side. I think he's a good keeper, but he's far too error prone to be a top keeper. Yeah, um, but again, props to Kimmich because that goal was one of the reasons that you tune in to watch soccer. It was just, it was awesome, awesome by him. He's he's special, man. He's one of these guys. I mean, he started out as a defender. It's kind of like the Gareth Bale mold of like starting out as a fullback and just like being too good in attack to keep back there. Although that position has changed, as we will talk about in moments. But first, I want to go to the second half. Uh, for the other real, I guess, inflection point of this game. Um, so watching it in real time, ball comes to Holland in the box, uh, puts one, puts on an attempt, looks like it could be headed for goal, but Jerome Boateng is on the ground and the ball deflects off of him and skids out of play for a corner kick. And in real time, I thought, well, I guess sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Boateng probably don't even know what was happening. He's on the ground, on the seat of his pants, but is able to get in front of that somehow, some way, and knock it away. And then you see the first replay, and you thought, oh, I don't know that that was a better-to-be-lucky-than-good situation. I don't, I don't think this was a situation where he didn't know what was happening. It looks like he stuck his arm out to use that as a tool to deflect that ball away. And somehow, VAR does not intervene. 
And play continues, and Borussia Dortmund do not score a goal in this game. They get shut out, and it's it's hard not to look back on that moment and think, in a VAR world, how is play not being stopped there? And at least at least let's take a look at it. And by the way, if they looked at that, it's a to me. And I know we say handball is this crazy thing; no one knows what is or isn't. To me, it's a hundred percent. It's a handball, a hundred percent. What was interesting that came out of it was the commentators mentioned that Borussia Dortmund may have shot themselves in the foot by taking the corner so quickly, the resulting corner so quickly, that the VAR guys didn't have a chance to take a look at it. But for me, it's a penalty. I honestly believe it's a penalty. He did a version of John Terry on the ground. He made himself bigger, there's no question. He's blocked it with a part of the arm. I really think it was a penalty. And it was an inflection point because, let's be let's be honest about it, that second half, we didn't get the the fire and brimstone attack from Dortmund for a number of reasons. Haaland went off injured. Okay, uh, Dahoud had that shot that kind of moved a little bit in the air, but it was straight at uh, Neuer. We didn't really see this ferocious, ferocious bombardment of the Munich goal to try and get an equalizer. And that was the one opportunity they had really to get level, and it was taken away from them. And I believe, look, if if you're going to have VAR, you know, implement it, use it. And I thought that was a clear, I thought it was clear and obvious for me. He's made himself bigger on the ground. It's a penalty. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, if you you mentioned this, I think it's a good point about Borussia Dortmund shooting themselves in the foot. If you follow Dale Johnson, Dale Johnson ESPN on Twitter, he's a, from ESPN FC. He's kind of like, how would you describe him? He's just like Mr. Var. Yeah. For lack of a, a, for like the most unoriginal nickname I could possibly think of, Mr. Um, Var, that's his name. He's Mr. Var. He's at the game. Uh, he tweeted, uh, "Dortmund took the corner immediately, and if the Var hasn't seen a possible offense before the ball's back in play, that's that. Can't then go back." So, and it's funny too. Um, Holland, who was closest to it, who took the shot, who you would have thought would be watching that ball the whole way. He didn't react at all. Clearly, he didn't see. No. Now, I got the sense that Jerome Boateng was the only person in the stadium that probably knew what happened. But I say in the stadium because what happens, JJ, if there's 80,000 people there? Like, there's probably a shout. You know how the crowd just instinctively shouts for handball and on any way, kind of deflection in the box. And, and by the way, what end was it at? It was the yellow wall, was it not? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the crowd instinctively shouts for that stuff no matter what. If they do that, who knows? Maybe that causes Dortmund to react in some way. Like it slows them down from taking the immediate corner. I don't know. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say if there's people in that stadium, if there's fans there, a handball is getting called through VAR. I just believe it. I truly believe it. <laughs> Bayern Munich fans are going to hate me after this. Um, let's see. Now, looking at, like I guess, the bigger picture here, um, Borussia Dortmund now who are – who are widely viewed. I know Leipzig have, have been very good the past couple of years. Munch and Gladbach have been good. Um, but, you know, this is widely viewed as a Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund league, it feels like. And Bayern have just owned Borussia Dortmund in recent meetings. That's now three straight matches uh, where they have, where Bayern have not only won, but they've shut out Dortmund. Um, curious what you make of that. Um, Dortmund, whenever we've watched these games, they've been bad just bad and brittle and prone to mistakes. Remember the humiliation was at last season, towards the end of last season, where they just, what was it? They shipped five or six goals. Five nil, yeah. 
yeah, there's just something brittle about them. I think it was 4-0 before that, too. Yeah. They they took a couple hammerings. Yeah. And and I think this Bayern team is better than those previous iterations. I can't I can't put my finger on that. Well, they're certainly playing better football under Hansi Flick than they have in the past two years. I don't know if you know the way teams get psychological blocks about certain sides. Um I don't think Dortmund are necessarily the best at the back. I think they are prone to errors in these bigger games, as we saw today. I Bayern just have this kind of uh They've got this ability for that big game. They can be stuttering in, in other parts of the league. And, and they're always, to be fair, they're always hitting their stride in the spring. And once they meet Dortmund, we, we always build it up. We expect a performance from Dortmund and they just fall flat. And I don't know why that is, to be honest with you. But that's happened under under Bose. It's happened now under Lucien Favre. I don't know what, I don't know what, what it comes from. Yeah, a couple of things that I would say in response to that. I, I think you're... I think you're kind of right. Um, however, this is also a really, this is a fickle game. Like, okay, we're saying that right now, just seconds after we said Borussia Dortmund should have been awarded a, a stone cold penalty. And we haven't even mentioned what happened in the first, what, minute of the game when Jerome Boateng cleared Holland's chance off the line. So, like. Yeah, but. Um- to be to give Baron their due, Andrew, I do think they created the better chances. There was that flicked header from from Muller that I actually we've seen him score goals like that. That was a really good ball in. Was it from? I think it was from Alfonso Davies. I'm not even sure, but um, he was involved in the build up for definite. And then we had PS check clear one off the line for Dortmund. You know, right. and and g- Lewandowski hit the post. Yeah, Gnabry, Gnabry should have scored there. So you're right. We can do that for both teams. Um, it was a weird game. Can I, just while we're on it, yeah. um, this was the uh, the Michael Kelly uh, graphic and the XG sum for the game: zero point six, zero point six. Hmm. Tightly played, dead even match decided by one great shot, one bad save attempt, attempt one unreviewed block. That's I. I that's somewhat fair. I think. I think that's somewhat fair, but. I do wonder, does XG really kind of give us a proper flavor of the chances that were there? I, I, I think Dortmund, I think Munich shaded it. I thought they had the better chances. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the defensive side of this because, you know, we talk a lot about Lewandowski. Um, you know, we talk about Thomas uh, Thomas Muller. But, you know, what I said before, Borussia Dortmund had not only, be, not only not been able to beat Bayern Munich their last three times, they haven't scored against them. And while they have come close, zero is what it is. Let's talk a little bit about the Bayern defense. Um, specifically, one man in particular. JJ, I saw Romelu Lukaku tweeted this during the game. Um, Alfonso Davies is fast as F. His top sprint speed today was clocked 21.9 miles per hour. Um, here's what Thomas Muller said about Alfonso Davies afterwards. Alfonso is a player with a lot of heart and a lot of power, uh, with extreme power. Sometimes maybe he's not in the best position on the field, but he gets the opponent thinking, oh, I have time, I have time. And then, beep, 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 the roadrunner, the FC Bayern roadrunner comes and steals the ball. With Alfonso Davies, it's interesting to me that he's now become this player that you cannot remove from Bayern starting 11. Do you know how good you have to be to be a teenager 
from Canada and prevent a World Cup winning fullback who was just bought by your club for a Bundesliga record fee of $90 million in Lucas Hernandez to keep that guy on the bench. A Canadian teenager is preventing the Bundesliga's most expensive player from getting into the lineup. That's how good this guy is right now. They can't take him out. Um, Jake Zernhelt, a listener, he sent an email this afternoon, as did many other listeners. As a Bayern fan, I admit total bias, but Alfonso Davies has to be the best left back in the world on his current form. He just put in a performance that completely shut down Haaland, Hazard and Hakimi. Well, I, I mean... I wouldn't give him credit for shutting down all of them, but he had a, he had an excellent he game. He had big moments, though, it felt like, against each of them. He had a big moment, particularly the Holland moment, which I'm presuming that's when he was clocked at uh, at 70 miles an hour. Because um, <laughs> I think it was when he was tracking back on uh, on Hazard, I think is when that sprint. Oh, was it really? Because he did brilliant on Holland. Holland skips past Alaba, who's on the floor, and is in on goal. And although he, he dawdled a little bit, um, it was unbelievable the amount of ground that Alfonso Davies made up to get back and dispossess him. But interestingly, the Athletic did a piece this morning ahead of the game asking, is Davies the left back, the best left back in the world already? And they measured him under a number of defensive metrics at which Davies is in, and they said it, white hot form right now. They compared him to Andrew Robertson of Liverpool under XG buildup, and he fared pretty kindly, although he's well behind the Scots, you know, still. And, um, and XG buildup is the stat that measures the total expected goals of every possession players are involved with, minus final passes and shots. It often measures the importance of defensive players to a team's buildup play. Andrew, he is so crucial to what Bayern Munich do. You're talking about how he's settled in, how he's done this or done that. He hasn't just slotted in and been solid. He's actually really important to what they do. They did some defensive metrics on him too as well. As a 1v1 defender, his timing's really good. He wins the ball back. He is, I don't think he's the best left back in the world right now. I, I do think that there's a few guys ahead of him. But in 18 months, not to, you know, not to cause a pun, but the amount of ground he's made up coming from MLS. It's incredible. It, it's amazing. And... um And he's great to watch. He's great he's to watch. great to watch. And that's what makes him... I think that's what puts him over the top in some ways when you even want to like, it's why you can even have the conversation about whether or not he's the best fullback or the best left back in the world. Like, because we know what he can bring defensively. We see the speed that he's able to make up to prevent these chances from Holland and, and Hazard. Um, and even Hakimi who, when is, when is Hakimi not the fastest player on the pitch every time he steps out? Maybe today, this may be the only game that he plays where he's not, but look what he's got in his locker in attack. How about the play? Uh, what I forget if it was first half or second half. I think it was in the second half when it's Davies on the left side with the ball. And what are there, four or five Borussia Dortmund players around him? And yeah. he, find, he picks his way through all of them, and it's only a last-ditch shove from Matt Hummels, Hummels uh, which blows the play up. But like the fact that your left back can do that, can take apart Borussia Dortmund's defense the way that he did. Uh, that, that play was funny for me because if anybody was wondering if um... – Holland was having a bad day. They should have watched his attempt to take the ball off uh, Alfonso Davies at the beginning of that play. My God. Andrew, he's he's brilliant and um he's at the tip of everybody's tongue right now. He is a he's the best player in CONCACAF at the moment that's uh, currently playing. 
why are you saying that with with a smile? People can't see you. Why do you have your tongue literally, like actually, like tongue in cheek? Because I wasn't the one to say that today, but um, noted American basher Miguel Delaney <laughs> is that in his Twitter profile? Is that nah. uh... <laughs> no? It's not. But Miguel Miguel tweeted it out, and uh, and I think he's right right now. Although well, I, I, don't, would... I don't know if it was meant for trolling or not, but how could anyone say that he's wrong? No, no, he put in a. Another sterling performance, and um, again, you know, he's uh, he's he's an integral cog in that team, not just a not just a guy who's doing well for a youngster. Yeah, and, and look, when we're talking about Byron's defending, I don't want to necessarily make the conversation just about Davies. He's the one that kind of exploded off the page today, and it felt like a lot of people tuned in, kind of like had this awakening moment in watching him. But like Byron's team defending is excellent. They clogged the middle. And the thing about them, too, like I feel like they have, in addition to Davies, I do feel like there's a lot of speed in defense, even from their central defenders. Like I feel like Alaba has speed, um, maybe not so much Boateng. Alaba has speed, yeah. But Alaba does. Pavard, even you know, when Lucas Hernandez comes on now as a sub, he brings that. So I feel like these teams that want to play against Bayern Munich, oftentimes you know, when you go up against a team like that, what do you want to do? You want to play a counterattacking style. And it's it's just more difficult, it feels to me, to do that against a team that has that kind of speed and defense that can track back and take it away. Before we leave this game, I do want to say that, again, go back to Liverpool, round of 16, last year's Champions League, on the way to winning the whole thing. And think of the Bayern Munich that they played then, Andrew. Would you have talked about speed? Would you have talked about incisiveness? Would you talk? Uh, no. Would you would you have talked about a team that was dangerous in transition? Would you have talked about a team that was, you know, full of youthful verve? It certainly didn't feel like it. What Hansi Flick has done with this team needs to be noted. Um, yeah, although I got a taste of it earlier this year in the uh, the game that I have tried to forget the utter destruct one of the worst Tottenham games I think I've ever seen in my life, the Serge Gnabry game. Um, and, you know, the thing about Bayern today, you talk about incisiveness, playmaking, they didn't even have Thiago Alcantara out there who might be their like their best playmaker. I mean, Lewandowski is their best goal scorer, maybe their best player. Um, our, our friend Blades. Not have Thiago and, and still play well like that. Our friend Blades Analytic had, had, had a nice little analysis grid um, that kind of talked about Kimmich and progressive passes. And um, he's really coming into it as, as a midfielder. And uh, look, they 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 were deserving winners today. I think weird game, good game, but a weird game. Yeah. Uh, last bit before we. Well, actually, I do have one other question, but I wanted to throw this in there as well. Gio Reyna, uh, he did come on as a sub in the seventy-first minute. He came on for Holland. Didn't make a huge impact. He did no. draw. Um, he drew what could have been a, a crucial foul just outside the box. A foul that was called on Davies, which it wasn't upon, even a foul. On further review, it actually looked like an amazing defensive Tackle, play. Yeah. Um, and then the There's subsequent no- free kick was uh, that was that the one that was fired right at Neuer. I Straight at Neuer, he caught it like into the bread basket. Look for on Reina Andrew to ask him to lead the line there with with no other real center forward like option. A Jaden Sancho came on, looked to step off. Look, they they look like they've struggled more from the amount of games they've played in the last while. Since the restart, they started brightly against Schalke, but I think they've got progressively, particularly at the weekend, they looked kind of tired as well, even though they won easily enough. They look like they're struggling a little bit and, and injuries have hurt them. Delaney, 
got the hook at halftime. Julian they, Brandt, too, which I thought was really interesting. He didn't I have would, a great first half, but, man, that felt harsh. I would not have taken Brandt off. And also people were saying, well, Sancho should have started. You've got to accept that Favre um, realized that he's not 100% right. and that he made a decision based on that. Um, I don't think they're winning that game anyway. So it's now seven points with six matches remaining. I mean, I said at the top of the show, I think I think this was it. I think this title race is now, for me, it's it's over. Uh, Bayern Munich, they still do have Bayer Leverkusen. They still do have Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yep. But with the deficit being seven points, let's say worst-case scenario, they, lo- they could lose those two games and still be atop the table. And, and honestly, I don't see them losing those two games. I don't know, man. I, I don't see it. I think it's done. I think it's as likely that Dortmund drop points now with the potential injuries they have on their on their roster. I think um, Baron may slip up once. Maybe they drop points. I still think it's done. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. One other note I did want to mention. Um, I don't want to make this just about Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, although that was certainly the, the biggest game of the last few days. Uh, Timmy Chandler did score today in the 82nd minute, I believe it was, for Frankfurt and to, uh, to level. It ended 3-3. So... At least some good news report for an American. Uh, Ulysses Lainez was on the bench for Wolfsburg. He was taken along to that game um, where they won handsomely. He didn't get a run. Um, John Brooks came off. Um, he played as well. And so that was good, I guess. Um, so there we are. I don't know if you saw Chandler's goal. It was very nice. Uh, kind of volleyed it in from a few yards out. It was by fending off a defender as he did it huge moment in the game so yeah good good for him i have no idea what it means in terms of whether or not he'll ever play for the u.s again but whatever he's still an american doing doing good stuff uh let's see we've got a couple couple notes in england jj um i saw today aaron ramsdale uh bournemouth keeper uh announced that he tested is one of the players who's tested positive for coronavirus he said he tested negative in the first round of testing, which was on a Monday. Mm. Uh, and then the second round of testing, if I'm reading it right, was just days later. And he tested positive at that point. Um, so he doesn't fully understand it. He said he, he had been complying with all social distancing rules. He said he did go to a grocery store, uh, which of course, again, that's not against any rules, um, but you can still get it from, uh, I don't know, I guess that is still increasing the probability that you'll come across it somehow. I don't know. He seemed to be a little bit confused by it, but it is what it is. He, he came down with a positive test. Um, EPL right now are hoping to have a return date set by the end of this week. Yeah, the Independent are reporting a number of leading players declared themselves reassured by plans for a return to contact training, and it is now hoped the clubs will vote in favor of this on Wednesday before voting on phase three, which is a return to matches. That vote will take place on Thursday. The Independent also said the latter is naturally seen as D-Day for Project Restart, but the mood is not adversarial, and it is felt that there is now significant momentum behind a return. While Thursday is unlikely to see a fixed date actually settled upon, the target remains the 12th of June, although the second half of the month is still more likely. So we're moving forward there. The 12th of June, like, it's May 26th. That June 12th is not far off. No, but get these guys back and ready for for that start date. I don't know. That feels optimistic, but who knows? Um, the league has received government approval to progress to the next stage of Project Restart. 
um, enabling competitive and close contact training, including tackling in groups of up to 12 players. I was, that's something I was thinking about today when I was watching the game. At some point, um, I forget who it was. I think there was, there was some sort of questionable call. Um, I, I think it was when Bayern uh, were appealing for a penalty. Remember late, there was like, who was it? Was it Matt Hummels who just like shoved the S out of, uh, was it Guerrero? Or no, no, not Guerrero. So, somebody for Bayern. And Bayern were appealing for a penalty. And I feel like they surrounded the ref a little bit. And there's players like in each other's faces. And I was thinking like, this is okay, but they can't celebrate goals with each other. Yeah, look, it, like, it, it, it doesn't work. Even the, even the jostling and how close they get to each other on corner kicks. I've said this before. But again, it's, it's, it's just about doing the best you possibly can in the controlled moments. You can't control corner kicks. You can't control open play, but you can control celebrations. And they're just trying to impact those areas. Yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, while we're on these notes of leagues possibly returning, did want to mention MLS. Um, not so much their return. There's not a whole lot new to report in the way of that. I think the Orlando project is still what they're working on. Uh, but what was kind of interesting to me this past week is MLS and their <laughs> Don Garber's rage over leaks and how the public is finding out about this. Now, the Athletic had been reporting information about this possible restart in Orlando. Uh, Garber not happy about that being reported, so he sent a memo to the league scolding whoever it is is leaking all this. Uh, that memo was then also leaked to the Athletic, which is which is just funny to me um, in kind of an odd way, I suppose. Not that I'm a reporter, but like the ger- the media person inside of me kind of thinks that that's sort of awesome. Uh, um, this, this is from The Athletic, who, who have been the beneficiaries of all this, uh, this leaking. Um, Garber wrote that MLS has been working with an investigative firm to determine the sources of the leaks. The commissioner, wait for this though, the commissioner has full and complete authority, quotes, to discipline any MLS employee or owner as per the league's constitution. That seems kind of draconian and authoritarian. Let me ask you a question about that. Where does Don Garber come from? Don Garber comes from the National Football League. He does. The NFL. He does, as a matter of fact. And what was the topic of conversation shortly before the NFL draft? Should this be going on? Is this okay? And what was happening? General managers around the NFL were furious that this draft was happening. They didn't think they had proper time. They weren't sure if it was appropriate or not. Uh, Members of the media were getting worked up about it. Uh, This was a tweet from Adam Schefter shortly before the draft. This was on uh, March 26th, so about a month before the draft. He wrote, in Roger Goodell's memo that the draft will go on, he served warning to those around the league that criticized the league's stance. Goodell wrote, public discussion of issues relating to the draft serves no useful purpose and is grounds for disciplinary action. Gee, I wonder where Don Garber is taking his cues from. It's like a carbon copy of the memo that he just sent to MLS. It's just yeah. funny, man. Like You, you talk about hiring investig- private investigative firms. Like, What are we talking about here? This is like a soccer league. This is not like deep throat. No, but I mean, there's obviously serious conversations going on between the players union, uh, the players association, the MLS players association and the league and the MLS players association, according to Paul Tenorino and the athletic has sent a hundred questions of concerns about the restart and about the plan. And 
they haven't got this uh, sufficient answers from MLS yet. And I guess Don Garber's trying to keep this whole process, the whole guts and gore of what goes on behind the scenes under wraps. But, you know, at some point, they need to let their plan be known. And sometimes transparency and accountability, those two watchwords from politics, sometimes those are actually needed. And yeah, yeah, if you but- control, if you, if you're, if you are controlling what goes out, Andrew, if you are putting out into the media little drips of information about what's going on and being seen to be transparent, then you can keep, at least you can control the leaks somewhat. Whereas this seems to be quite secretive and one person is talking to the the athletic. I know. It, sh- it shouldn't be that hard to find who this this. Well, I don't know. You see, you're all about the hunt. You are all consumed by finding the traitor. I do want to disagree with one thing you just said, even kind of mocking myself for mocking the investigation here. I mean, look, maybe that's a bit much to actually feel like you need to hire an investigative firm. But look what's happening in baseball right now, JJ. It's so gross and disgusting during a time when 35 million Americans uh, are out of work and you've got baseball players and owners publicly fighting over millions and billions of dollars people have no stomach for it and don garber say what you want about him he understands that he knows that it's there's no stomach for it. people don't want to hear it people do not want to see how this lawsuit is being made right now he also doesn't want to get note that there's billionaire owners in mls as there is in major league baseball as there is in the national football league and they're looking and and asking for their players the content providers to take pay cuts. That's another side to it. Nobody wants to talk about, well, people do talk about it, but there's no commissioner in, in, in major league sports in America wants to talk about the fact that billionaires are looking for their employees to take pay cuts. Yeah. So, you know, it's all kind of strange and everything and props the athletic, but I, I totally get why Don Garber wants this as tight-lipped as possible because oh, only, you're, and, and you'd be only bad PR well. Oh, okay. my God. They should get you a badge, get you a gun, get you an investigations room. A gun? You, <laughs> you, you, you think that's part of the investigation? That, like someone's going to like... Oh, you should be given full powers of investigation. Uh, lie detector tests, the whole thing. Someone's going to just like bash down Carlos Vela's door in the middle of the night. Like Carlos, <laughs> men would be, you'd, you'd come into the room, Carlos, and you'd rub your hand down your face dramatically. Sorry, it's not a good time, but it's never a good time for leaks. What have you got? <laughs> yeah, maybe you and I can do this together, like some sort of like good cop, bad cop routine. Oh, can I be Pacino from Heat? Talking calmly and psychotically and then banging on the table. Give me what you got! <laughs> I want, I want to be like um, Newman in the Seinfeld mail fraud episode. <laughs> no, you're you're more likely to be Charlie Day on the oh. uh, episode of Always Sunny, where he has what was it? He has the graph where he's drawn up this whole <laughs> right. It's like his like what is it like his homeland style? Yeah, <laughs> that's more likely to be you. Anyway. Let's see. We have a we have a beautiful mailbag here, JJ. I don't know if you want to take us through it. Uh, I do indeed, Andrew. I'd be happy to. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. That's the email. Caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram and at Pod on Twitter. Please follow us on all platforms. That's where you can come and fight with JJ. Uh, Tom Og. 
uh, Tom contacts us on Twitter with a, with a, oh, a very American centric question. Consid- uh, you know, this is an American podcast, right? Like, uh, you want to just no. sit here and take no shots at the. Uh- no, we have listeners in Norway. We have listeners in Bangladesh. We have listeners in uh, Malaysia. We have listeners in South Africa. How dare you, Andrew, be so narrow in your view? I, I embrace say- the world. Yeah, yeah. Paint that picture, you. You creep. <laughs> Considering war, which is wins after replacement, has wins become above the... replacement. But thank you. <laughs> well, in uh, Norway, it's wins after replacement. Uh, Considering wins above replacement has become the stat that defines the impact of an MLB player. What advanced stat would be similar for soccer, or has sabermetrics not become as big a facet in the sport? Thank you, Tom, for that one. It's a good question. And also, uh, just to answer the second part of it first, sabermetrics or, or ad- advanced analytics or data in America <laughs> with the like of Michael Kelly and Michael Gordon, um, it's become a huge thing. And it's yeah, a huge, I, I, it's a huge thing across soccer. Who, um, who's, and who's bought into this seemingly overnight more than anyone? overnight look at you I, I haven't mentioned expected goals once meanwhile you're sitting there on this podcast what was the stat you gave about alfonso davies earlier his what build up xg I xg mean, build up yeah yeah, God, yeah you're like a regular billy bean or bill james or somebody i should say we shouldn't just make this an american thing most of the top teams actually i say most man united only got only got a, a department like this into the club this season i believe an advanced analytics department which is crazy um i think the difference and andrew cut across me between baseball and soccer in terms of analytics is that it varies so widely from position to position like for a creative midfielder the stat that might be most important is the aforementioned xg build-up or progressive passing stats for a defender blocks and interceptions might be key for a winger or a fullback, completed dribbles or take-ons. I don't know what you think, Andrew. Um, maybe this is me just not being intelligent enough or me being like too short-sighted and narrow-minded, but I just think soccer is a little too nebulous to really be able to, to fix a number to a certain guy to be like our gauge for how important he is. Uh, like baseball, I mean, you know baseball. It's it's so numbers-driven. It's so statistically based. It's yeah. pretty clear cut. Like, yeah, I'm being really simplistic here. And, I, and I'm saying this as someone who loves baseball, but like guy comes up to bat, does he get a hit or does he get out? Like, you know, it's kind of simple in that way. Yeah. You getting know? on getting on base is the most important per, uh, stat, I would say, on base percentage, right? Right. Yeah, right now, yeah, batting average has almost become like general managers in baseball. When you bring up somebody's batting average, they laugh. They roll their eyes at batting average. It's all on base percentage now. It's home runs. They don't even care about strikeouts anymore. Um, soccer, I just think I don't know. I just, I just don't think it's that kind of game that you can you can do that. Yeah, I've just come up with a stat for soccer. KGM kicking goodness metric. You you work on that. Uh, yeah, but it is it is important. But Andrew thinks it's uh, too nebulous. So okay. Um, but no, definitely the, the role of data in soccer in the last few years has, has come to the fore. So, um, to answer your last question, it's, it's a big facet of the sport now, but I would say position to position, it's, it's difficult to hone in on, uh, John Ibaneth, 
Uh, long-time listener, second-time mailbag commenter. Welcome. In response to last week's mailbag question, whose career would you rewrite? Before Andrew said anything, I immediately thought Landon Donovan also. Mm. However, unlike Andrew, I would rewrite Donovan's international career, namely Klinsman's decision to leave Donovan out of the 2014 World Cup. A little background, I've been going to Galaxy games since league inception. I'm a huge Donovan fan. Perhaps my what-if would have occurred if Donovan had stayed at Everton per Andy's rewrite of Donovan's career. In any event, I will forever wonder what if Donovan was in front of goal in extra time against Belgium oh. in the 2014 World Cup instead of ahem, Wando. I still feel sick watching reruns of it. Can I Can I just jump to the defense of Wondolowski for a second? Um, Wando is a good goal scorer in MLS terms, a very good goal scorer in MLS terms. He's had longevity. That miss was... We we cannot allow that to define his entire career. No, it has. Forget about it. I've gone back and forth on this. I used to be on, on your side on this one, Andrew. It's not fair, but it was. it's the biggest stage he ever played at. He never played outside of the United States, and he's there in a World Cup quarterfinal, and the ball's there, and he skies it. Of course, it's the defining moment. What are we talking about? Um, I, I guess if uh, if John wants to rewrite Donovan's international career over his domestic one, then I, I think he has to go back further, just as opposed to Klinsman leaving him off that roster. I think he has to go back and change Donovan's mind about that sabbatical. Because yeah. that was really what kept him off the team, fair or not. Uh, it was pro- it was that decision. Donovan acting like he was the CEO of a tech company going off to find himself in Burma was just a bad idea. Okay, um, Emmanuel, this is a question that comes up regularly, but I have a new twist on it. Hello, gentlemen. Emmanuel from Maryland. New and huge fan of the pod. Welcome. I've been listening for about a year now. I'm fairly new to soccer worldwide and you guys podcast has brought me so much information. I'm really appreciative of all you do. We are, we are amazing. Emmanuel, thank you for pointing that out. My big confusion comes as I am a Manchester United fan, but I'm currently watching Sunderland till I die and becoming a fan of the atmosphere and love they have for their team. Can I be a fan of both and even buy Sunderland's kits or am I betraying my United love? Thanks for all you do. I'm going to say, before you give your answer there, Andrew, I'm going to say, Emmanuel, maybe you don't like United that much. You're telling me about how much you're loving Sunderland. And honestly, if I was you, I would switch. I would become a Sunderland fan. It's going to be more difficult to watch their games, but that that's going to mean it's going to mean more. Um, I honestly believe you should uh, jump on the Sunderland bandwagon. You seem to have found uh, You seem to have found something in them. And um, and I I don't think it's too late for you to stop being a Man United fan, basically. Oh, man. Uh, I don't like even answering these questions anymore. I'll be honest. Every, you know what? My I wouldn't do it. Like for me, it feels wrong to do that. But like, what the hell it's not wrong. Yeah, like, I, for me, it, I wouldn't do it. I'd feel uncomfortable being a Tottenham fan walking around with a Sunderland kit on. I think. Uh, oh yeah, I wouldn't like. I, I don't think he should buy a Sunderland kit, to be honest. Well, even you're if telling they are. him to change allegiances. Oh, I am. I'm telling him to do that. All right. So then go buy all the Sunderland kits that you can afford. Uh, I, but you know what? Like, I, it's not, it wouldn't work for me. 
But who am I to tell you how to be a fan or who to root for or what jerseys to have? So I don't, I don't even care. Like, go ahead. If that, if that makes you happy. I don't, I don't think, I don't care either. And to be honest with you, I've got so many teams. I've got so many different team jerseys that I wear around the place. I've just got an interest in soccer in general. I mean, who cares? Do, do you do you, Emmanuel, as the kids say, Fraser York um, sent us a sky compilation of, oh, LVG. What a guy. As a Mad City fan, I presume that was meant to be Man City fan, I've enjoyed United's demise post-Sir Alex, but this guy was such a genuine character. So uh, I saw, you showed me that email, um, and so I just was like, yeah, he he really was a character, and I was kind of trying to look for like a story, I guess, that could paint a picture as to who he is, and I, I came across this on Sports Illustrated's website. Um, I'm just pulling it up real quick here. So they, they take an excerpt from a book uh, that recently came out um, called LVG, The Manager and the Total Person. And in it, Robin Van Persie reveals uh, a story of a time that LVG slapped him. Would you mind if I, if I take a moment to read this excerpt? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, he, he says here, the game went into extra time and I got a cramp. Louis shouted, I'm taking you off. I turned around and shouted, no, no, we have penalties soon. This is from Robin Van Persie's perspective. But the last 20 minutes were physically really hard for me. He could see that, and steam was coming out of his ears. When the match was finished and we gathered near the touchline, he got close to me, and suddenly he hit me, bang, with a big flat hand. He dealt me a blow and said in an angry way, don't ever do that to me again. I looked at him absolutely stunned. I looked at him absolutely stunned. Louis just Louis said, just get on with it and make sure you get it in the net from the spot. I'm glad I managed to put the penalty in the corner. When I look back on that incident, it was a weird moment. But that was Louis for you. Sometimes he can hug a player, and sometimes he can hit a player. Now, I, I am calling on caught offside Twitter nation or Twitter universe. I demand video of this incident. If it happened right there in midfield, just before penalties were taken, there has to be a camera that spotted this. What game was this? He doesn't say. At least in the excerpt, it's not it's not made clear, and that would certainly help you in your search. But uh, sadly, I don't have that. So it could have been preseason. Uh, penalties? Yeah, I may have, yeah, maybe. I guess so. Because remember when he was in America, and uh, there's video of him showing Rooney. Like Rooney was taking shots, they were doing a shooting drill, and him getting Rooney and showing Rooney how to strike a ball, showing the senior striker at your football club how to hit the ball. This, is, this couldn't be preseason, though. You think Robin Van Persie would have a cramp in a preseason match and refuse to come off? Like he'd be that. Yeah. It would be that important to him to 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 be a penalty taker. In I don't a know pre-season. what game. It, I don't know what game it could be oh, then. No. Oh yeah, I thought I thought the story you were going to tell was the was the uh, sex masochism um, story, <laughs> where he goes that someone was pulled by their hair on the field. The Man United player was it Anderson or someone in the lead up to a goal, and he goes, "This is a this is a foul in soccer. Uh, nowhere in life can you pull a hair except um, in sex masochism." <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh my god he was unbelievable yeah. you know what i miss i miss the fact that we don't have access 
to all that audio we have from the Man United uh, summer party or the end of season awards night. I know. Where, where Louis is three sheets to the wind, full of wine and expectation. And uh, my, my favorite line isn't actually, um, we are very close. It's Wayne Rooney, come to me. And he see, he say, we go, we go to make second. And I say, yes, we go for second place. I know. And he's shouting about getting second in the league and how important that would be. Yeah. I really think that was the moment where it crystallized for a lot of people of, Oh my God, this is not Sir Alex's club anymore. No, (laughs) he was so enthused about the battle for second. Oh Um, yeah. I, I mean, the story about how he was relieved of his duties is pretty sad because apparently he's a very honorable guy and a good guy to work with apart from the eccentricities. And he was told in the lift after winning the FA Cup in, that would have been, what, 2016? May 2016? In the lift at Wembley that he'd lost his job. He could, they didn't even leave him to kind of bask in the glory of winning a cup with United. He was, he was told that was it, which was shabby. Uh, any more? I think that's it. Oh, no, there's one more, I believe. Um, watch the American Dream documentary last night. What a strange ride that was. Any chance, JJ, you could compile or post a list of must-see football-related documentaries on YouTube? I have done this a million times on the show. No one's listening. So what I'm going to do is... No, lots of people are listening to the show, but they're not listening to me when I list my documentaries. Go to Instagram, Caught Offside ESPN, and I'm going to post a list that will stay there in perpetuity of the documentaries you should watch while we're... uh, in this continuing lockdown. Oh, I love it. That's a great well, idea. You should, watch, you should watch them anyway. I'm currently watching um, another one I found, Behind the Scenes, Lower League English Club. What's it called? They think it's all Rovers, about Doncaster Rovers and their record-breakingly bad season where they're relegated from the Football League. And it's insane. It's absolutely insane. The fans hate the board. The chairman's in exile. The chairman may or is suspected of trying to burn down the stand, right? Um, the the youth player the youth players are having to train in the stands because they're trying to preserve the pitch for games. The fans are actively plotting about trying the stands, tr- running up and down the stands, oh, okay. like the bleacher runs that you do. Right. The the supporters group are actively talking about getting onto the field and getting the last game abandoned. Therefore, they could. They can't have the worst record because if they lose their last game, they'll have the worst record in the history of the Football League for that year in in 98, I think it was. They have one manager who's this befuddled Uruguayan man who manages the senior team, the reserve team, and the youth team. The same manager. Sounds like they should have been managed by Ron Manager. Unbelievable. Big Ron Manager. Yeah, marvelous, isn't it, football? Mm. (laughs) Anyway, that's the yeah. podcast. There you go. This isn't soccer related, but now I'm kind of just talking to you. You know I, I, how I had told you to watch Community, how I've been binging it. I just literally last night, I just watched an episode in season five, JJ, that I, I'm pretty sure it was made literally for you and me. So they're at this community college and there's like all these weird alternative classes that are being offered for ki- for students to take. And one of the classes, I forget the exact name of it, but it's basically Nicolas Cage 101. 
And oh. the whole, the entire basis of the course is to determine whether or not Nicolas Cage is a good actor or a terrible one. Uh, and it's me, hilarious. Well, me and you need to take that course because we are oh, undecided. It's one of the, it's one of the timeless questions of this generation. Is he, because the man has won. He, who did he beat? Tom Hanks for a best actor? Leaving, in leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. But like, he's also the same guy from, you know, the rock uh, screaming. I just want to find these rockets. I drive a, a Volvo, a beige one. Like he's horrifying in that movie. And yet you can't take your eyes off of him. It's, we made a podcast relating to the Premier League using only Nicolas Cage references. That that's that's the stuff we used to get away with. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. For I, I just want to find these rockets. I think I, I I made some parallel to Luis Suarez just like firing great shots from 30 yards out or something. <laughs> no, I, I mine was Stoke City. Stoke City had the worst goal. Um, they had the worst shots on target record. They couldn't hit the target. And uh, they were struggling to score goals. Uh, gee, I just wish you could find some rockets. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's a gem. He's a national treasure, and he was even in the movie National Treasure. So there you go. Hey, this was a lot of fun, man. That was a fun game today. I'm kind of sad to say that I think the Bundesliga title race is over. I was hoping that we could string that out for at least a few more weeks. Uh, but there is still a big top four race as Bayer Leverkusen are looking pretty good. Kai Havertz has just like taken the restart by storm. Um, He's such a good player. Yeah. So is he a striker? Is he a number ten? Is he a central midfielder? He's awesome. I don't know. He's just awesome, generally speaking. Uh, so yeah, this was fun. Um, keep your tweets coming. We do still have a Twitter account. I know that I there was the, the brief threat last week of just shutting it down because JJ knew. Seems like during the 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 quarantine, he just has lost his ability to communicate with others. His social skills have regressed to a point where I don't really know if it's safe for no. him to be around people. Um, but. I, 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 fi- I figured out what I do wrong. I engage with people on Twitter in a conversation or debate about football in the same manner I would with a friend at the pub. And there's too many sensitive Simons and Sallys out there. That yeah, you're take- one of them. I've seen the way people make harm. Well, whatever. We don't have to get into this again. Uh, but hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 